Good afternoon. Today is Tuesday, it's 12.15, and we're getting ready to begin our weekly lunch and learn. I will start with a bracha and a cup of water. Baruch Ata Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Shehakol Niyah Bidvaro Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jody and Roy. We're getting ready to begin our weekly lunch and learn. <clears throat> For close to two years, every Tuesday afternoon at 12 o'clock, we would gather in the synagogue in the days before Corona. We would have a delicious lunch together. And at 12.15, we have a 60-minute lesson where we look at a variety of topics. Every week, choosing another topic and looking at traditional sources, Torah, Talmud, Midrash, a little bit of Kabbalah, and looking at these sources, seeing how they give us a proper perspective on this specific topic. Today, as Passover, Pesach is coming up, we will talk about the Seder. It's just over a week. Next Wednesday is when we will have the Seder, Wednesday night, as well as Thursday night. Second Seder, we want our Seder to be meaningful as well as practical. So that is the, today's topic. Hi. We'll begin shortly. I did send out an email with the source sheet. Otherwise, there is a link somewhere here. There's a link to the source sheet for today's lesson. I believe Passover is one of the most celebrated Jewish holidays. Next Wednesday, millions and millions of uh, Jewish people, good afternoon, Ed, millions of Jewish people will sit down with their families for the Pesach Seder this year, probably just with their families or parts of their families. Personally, I was we were planning to be away for part of Pesach with family but Hashem has other plans, and we will be here. Good afternoon, Michael. Good afternoon, as we are getting ready to begin. Today's topic is Passover, and the theme is always the, how to make the ideas of the Torah relevant and practical. You know, our, our tradition takes us back thousands of years. The story of Pesach, the story of Passover happened over 3,000 years ago, to be exact, 3,332 years ago. And we're celebrating Pesach that many times. Hi Stan, hi everybody else that joined. We're getting ready to begin our weekly lesson. If you did not receive an email with the source sheet, there's a link somewhere here that I put where you can download or print the source sheet to be able to follow along. 3,332 years of celebrating Passover. That's a lot of years. And it happened, the original story, the Exodus from Egypt, happened many years ago. And we're, we're going to try to make the Seder more practical, relevant to our lives. You know, I was never in Egypt even. Excuse me. And yet, we celebrate the Exodus, freedom from Egypt. How does this re relate to us living so many years later in 2020? So, we'll begin with 
a little story. There's a little young boy that goes to Hebrew school. And in the weeks leading up to Passover, he's going to Hebrew school every Sunday morning, learning Jewish history, learning about the Passover holiday. And he comes home one Sunday afternoon, and his dad asks him, Tell me, Jack, what did you learn today? And Jack says, Oh, we learned about the Jews leaving Egypt. Moses, Moshe, their leader, led them out of Egypt. And dad says, Really? How did that happen? Well, how did they leave Egypt? He says, Well, Moses was a real tough man. He was strong and mighty. And he came up to Pharaoh, punched him in the face, and knocked him to the ground, held him down. And while he was down on the floor, they got the Jews together. They escaped. And they got to the Red Sea. They got to the Red Sea. Moses had the, the Jewish engineers build a bridge. And they, all the Jewish people crossed the sea. They came to the other side. They blew up the bridge. And the Egyptians all drowned. The father is listening. He says, really? Is this what your teacher taught you in Hebrew school? And he says, not exactly. But if I told you what he really told us, you'd never believe me. So the first mitzvah we'll begin with. Hi, Judy. Hi, Mark. Hi, Gail. Hi, everybody else that just joined. We're getting ready to begin. You can download or print the source sheet somewhere here. There should be a link. Today's lesson is split into four sections. We're talking about the Passover Seder, the Pesach Seder. The first section, we're going to be talking about the four mitzvahs, the four special mitzvahs of the Seder nights. We have many mitzvahs in the Torah. Total of 613 mitzvahs. Putting a mezuzah is a mitzvah, keeping kosher is a mitzvah, many, a couple of mitzvahs. Excuse me. And lighting candles for Shabbos, many mitzvahs. On the night of the Seder, we have many mitzvahs, primarily four mitzvahs, four special mitzvahs. And today's lesson will, will, is divided into four sections. Looking at each of these mitzvahs, looking at them from their sources, hi Ira and Nina, looking at it from the source, from the Torah itself. And we're going to focus in on each of these mitzvahs, as we mentioned, how they are relevant, what's their spiritual, what's their message to us living 3,332 years after the story of the Exodus originally happened. So we'll take a look at source number one in the first section, which is the first mitzvah titled here, the Haggadah. So the book that we have to accompany us, to guide us, how to lead our Seder, I, Brian. How to lead our Seder is the book, the Haggadah. Very Jewish book. We have a Siddur, we have a Chumash, we have a Psalm, Stat Tehillim, and a Haggadah. It's a very uh, famous and you know Jewish book. I believe more than 70% of Jewish people today celebrate Pesach, sit down for a Seder. That's millions and millions of Jews. Hopefully this year are more of them. And you need a Haggadah. Nowadays we can just download it and print it out. A Haggadah. Haggadah, what does Haggadah mean? The word Haggadah means to speak, to tell over, to relate. And the book, the, primar the primary part of this book is telling us, recounting the story of the Exodus, the story of the enslavement in Egypt and the story of the Exodus. And this is the first mitzvah of the Seder, a biblical mitzvah. Let's take a look at source number one. The Torah says in numerous places, just quoted here, two verses in Deuteronomy and Devarim, you shall say to your children, 
We were slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt, and the Lord freed us with a mighty hand. Remember this day on which you went free from Egypt. That's a quote from Exodus. So the Torah tells us quite clearly in more than one place that it is a mitzvah on this night, on the night of Passover, on the night when the Exodus took place, to recount the story to our children, to the original generation who this the verse was talking talking about. Moses, God told Moses to tell the Jewish people that they shall tell their children who may have not been in Egypt. You shall tell your children that why are we celebrating Passover? Because we were slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt. And on this day he freed us with a mighty hand. And even if someone does not have children, the Torah says, remember this day, or the children are with them, remember this day on which you went free from Egypt. There is a day to remember, Ha'igor, it is a day to remember. It is a mitzvah to tell our children to say the story, the story of the of Passover, the story of the enslavement, the suffering of the Jewish people in Egypt, and the story of the Exodus that happened on this night, on the night of the say the first night of Passover. So that's the first mitzvah. As the codifiers, the halachic in halacha and Jewish law bring out, source two. This is a quote from Rambam, Rabbi Moshe ben Maimon, a Sephardi codifier known as Maimonides. It is a positive commandment. Hello, Ilona. We're studying together here. Source 2. It is a positive commandment of the Torah to relate the miracles and wonders wrought for our ancestors in Egypt on the night of the 15th of Nisan. Even if all of us were wise, we would still be obligated to discuss the Exodus and everyone who discusses the Exodus from Egypt at length is praiseworthy. That's a quote from the Haggadah. So we see here, it is a positive commandment to speak about the miracles that happened on this night. Hi, Michael and Maureen. And this night, the 15th of Nisan, on the Jewish calendar, every year Passover is the same day. It's the night of the 15th of the month of Nisan, which is next Wednesday night. It's a mitzvah to relate the story, the miracles that happened, the ten plagues, the exodus. In addition, it's not just to tell the story to our children who may have not heard the story, or may not know the story, or to our fellows that may have not, you know, remembered the story or all the details. Even if we're all wise, the Agada says, which is a quote, even if we're all wise, we're all knowledgeable, we know the story, we remember from last year, we learned it last week. Nonetheless, on this night, it is the mitzvah to verbally, Talk about, relate the story, read the Haggadah, read most of the book is the story of the Exodus, the different verses, the quotes there from, the, from Mishnah that talk about the details, explaining what went on, how the Jewish people suffered, and how they were redeemed. That's the first mitzvah. Just like it's a mitzvah to put a mezuzah on your door, it's a mitzvah to put on tefillin, it's a mitzvah to light the Hanukkah candles, and hear the shofar on Rosh Hashanah, it is a mitzvah on the night of Pesach. A biblical mitzvah to recount the story of the Exodus. Now is it just that it's a miracle that happened thousands of years ago? Our ancestors were saved from Egypt? Or it has something to do with us? Let's take a look at source 3. The Haggadah continues in response to the four questions that the children ask. And by the way, if there's no children present, we, we nonetheless ask the question, we're all children and talking to God, our Father in Heaven. Source 3, God redeemed not only our fathers, but He redeemed also us with them. Also us? God redeemed us along with our fathers? I wasn't there. I'm not 3,000 years old. I wasn't in Egypt. 
What does the Haggadah mean that God redeemed us along with our fathers? If God had not taken our fathers out, then we, our children, and our children's children would have remained enslaved to Pharaoh and Egypt. So in essence, by God taking out our ancestors, it also affected us. Because if he had not taken us out, we would still be there. So by taking them out and setting them free, in essence, he was freeing their children, their grandchildren, and all future generations. Because for many generations, for 210 years, the Jews were living in Egypt. They were the superpower at the time. No slave ever escaped. And by freeing the Jews miraculously from Egypt, it affected us because otherwise we would still be there and, and, uh, and be working hard. So that is the basic understanding of the Haggadah, what it has to do with us. It's not just what happened 3,000 year, years ago that because our ancestors were saved, so in turn we were also saved. That's a simple explanation. But let's look at this mitzvah from a deeper point, looking at it, how we can apply this a little bit more to our daily lives. Here is a Hasidic idea, which we will touch upon, and we can take it further at another time. Let's look a look at, take a look at source number four. So, the country in Hebrew, the country of Egypt where our ancestors were slaves, is called Mitzrayim. In biblical language. Till today, in Hebrew, modern Hebrew, Egypt is the country of Egypt is called Mitzrayim. Mitzrayim was a place where the Jews were enslaved, they were in bondage, they could not leave. Hi Vicky, hi Hank. But the word Mitzrayim is not was not just a place, but also a concept. Mitzrayim means Mitzar means boundaries, means limitations, narrow. Mitzrayim means boundaries. So there is a country called Mitzrayim, and then inside each and every one of us, there is a Egypt, there is a Mitzrayim, there is boundaries, limitations. Source 4. Our personal Egypt is our self-imposed limitations and boundaries our comfort zones and habits that hamper our ability to grow, change, and self-actualize. Re recalling our escape from Egypt is meant to stimulate us to engage in a personal exodus. So celebrating Passover is not just about recalling what happened three and a half thousand years ago. It is about us. It is about our lives. Each of us find ourselves in some sort of Egypt, some sort of limitations. We have our comfort zones, we have our boundaries. Oh, I'm not going to do that, that's not for me. I'm not that kind of person. I never did that, I didn't grow up that way. And to make a change, to leave our Egypt, leave our comfort zones, to do obviously for a good thing, to do, do something extra, to grow, that's called leaving our Egypt. Not just leaving the place called Egypt, but we're slaves, sort of. We're slaves to our nature. We're slaves to what's comfortable to, for us. We're slaves. Every day of our lives, we're slaves. And whatever level we leave one day, when that becomes comfortable, then we have to take a next step and leave again and keep on growing. So, leaving our Egypt means breaking our boundaries, doing something good beyond our comfort zone. So when we sit down at the Seder and we say the story 
of the suffering of the Jewish people. They were slaves. It's not just our ancestors that were slaves. We're also slaves. We have to think into ourselves and contemplate, look inside ourselves, do some introspection and see what, what is my Egypt? What limits me from growing, from coming closer to Hashem, from becoming a better person? And on the night of the Seder, we have the ability to tap in to the spiritual energy of the night and leave, take a step out of our Egypt to grow, to change, to resolve, to become a better person, even if it's going beyond, out of our comfort zone. And we see this in a story, a story in the Torah. Before Moses was sent to take the Jewish people out of Egypt, he was a shepherd for his father-in-law in the country of Midian. He married a woman, Tzipporah. They had two boys. And he was a shepherd. Suddenly, he's in the desert with the, with the sheep. And he comes across a frightening sight. He sees a bush, a thorn bush, on fire. And the fire was not consuming the bush. Excuse me. What was this? God. The angel of God. God was appearing to Moshe. Catching his attention. For the first time, Moses and God are, are communicating. Openly. Source 5. The Torah says in the book of Exodus, Moshe said, I must turn aside to look at this marvelous sight. Why doesn't the bush burn up? Said the Lord, Do not draw near here. Take your shoes off your feet. Moses wants to come close to God. He realizes this is a divine Sight, this is a place where something miraculous is happening. There's a fire and the, the branches are not getting consumed. What's happening here? Says God, God calls out to Moshe. He says, Moshe, Moshe, Moses, don't, don't come close. You need to remove your shoes to come to this place because this place is holy. This is a place where the presence of God is felt. You must remove your shoes. What does this mean, remove your shoes to come close to God? One of the explanations is an the words that are used in Hebrew. To remove your shoes, God says to Moshe, Shal ne'alecha. Remove your shoes. Ne'alecha. Take your shoes off. Me'alraglecha from your feet. The word na'alcha means shoes in Hebrew. Till today in Hebrew, na'alayim are shoes. And the same word is used for a lock. To lock the door. A na'al. Probably because your shoes lock your foot inside. So, when saying remove your shoes, it can also mean remove your locks. And then it says, remove them from your feet. But the word regel, regalecha feet, can also mean regilus, your habits, your routine. Probably because your you go in this way. It's like your, your, your feet, you, you go, you're led in this way routinely. It's your routine. It's the, it's the way you usually go. So remove your shoes from your feet can also be read as remove the locks from your habits. We have a comfort zone and we're locked in. There's a lock on our routine. This is what I do. This is the way. I never went to synagogue. I don't give charity. I don't help people. It's not my kind of thing to do. I don't pray. I don't know what it means to pray. I don't know what it means to give someone a ride. It's just out of my comfort zone. I don't like people coming into my car. Or whatever the situation is. We have our Egypt. That's the way we are, whether naturally or the way we, were, we grew up. Certain things are just 
too hard for us. It's, it's beyond our comfort zone. And on the night of the Seder, we have the ability to free ourselves from Egypt, from our locks, the things that lock us in the way we live, to grow, to change for the better, to come close to Hashem. God says to Moshe, you want to come close to me? You want to grow and become spiritual? Take the locks off your habits. You can't just be the way you are. You need to push yourself. You need to grow. You need to go beyond yourself. You need to invest. Source 6. On Passover, the unique divine energy was one of redemption. On the night of Pesach, there was a spiritual energy to free the Jewish people. On this day, we were redeemed from Egyptian bondage and Egyptian mindsets. Each year on the day of Passover, the unique divine energy is once again present and accessible. This energy is even more pronounced at the Seder, the exact time of redemption. One of the most in, um, fundamental ideas is that in Judaism is that the holidays or the special days on the calendar are not just we're remembering what happened back in the day. 3,332 years ago, our ancestors were redeemed. And if we were there, if they weren't redeemed, we would still, still be there. It's not just that. It is actually re-happening every year. We re-experience the redemption. Maybe not we're, we're not physically slaves in Egypt, but the concept, the concept of slaves, the concept of redemption is applicable today. And that spiritual energy happens again every year, especially at the Seder, at the moment, the night of the 15th of Nisa when the Jewish people were liberated from Egypt. Every year there's an energy, a spiritual energy that we can tap into, the energy of redemption, redemption from physical labor, the Jews in Egypt, and redemption from our spiritual bondage, the bondage of our limitations, the bondage of our comfort zones to be able to grow, to leave an exodus from our personal Egypt. That's the first mitzvah. Hello, Shalom. Hi, Stan and Daniel. We just finished our first section. You can click on the link to download the source sheet to follow along. The first mitzvah of the Seder night is to tell over the story, the Haggadah, to retell the story of the Exodus. But not just what happened back in the day. To look into ourselves and find our personal Egypt, to identify it and to resolve, to take a step, to tap into the spiritual energy of this evening and... Take a step out of our Egypt. That's the first mitzvah, to read the story. So you have a Haggadah, a Pire Haggadah in English, in Hebrew, in Russian, whatever language, and read the story. Read the story of the Haggadah, the story of Passover. After nightfall, Wednesday evening, Thursday evening, you fulfill a biblical mitzvah. Moving on to the second mitzvah. The holiday is known as the holiday of Matzos in biblical in, in, the, in the Bible, in the Torah, the Torah refers to this holiday not so much as Pesach, as Passover, but more as the Chag HaMatzot, the holiday of Matzah. So it was during Pesach, one year, a man decided to take his Passover, kosher for Passover lunch. It was nice weather, and he decided to go to the park and have some lunch on the park bench. He sits down, he's eating his matzah, matzah sandwich, and a few moments later, he sees a blind man comes and sits down next to him on the bench. He's munching on his matzah and he feels bad for his neighbor. He doesn't have anything to eat. So he offers him and gives him a piece of matzah. The blind man 
holds the piece of matzah, runs his finger over it with a puzzled look on his face. He says, who wrote this nonsense? So the matzah has lots of little bumps in there. That's man made, it's perforated to make the matzah, help sh make sure the matzah does not rise. The matzah is made out of two ingredients, flour and water, kneaded together and pounced, manipulated for less than 18 minutes. Excuse me, that it should not rise and become leavened, become chametz. The holes help that the dough should not rise. So the holiday is called the holiday of matzah. As we see in source number 7, again, hi Svetlana, Hi, you can download the source sheet. There should be a link somewhere here to follow along. Source number seven. The Torah says in more than one place, here is one source. In the first month, referring to Nisan, which is counted as the first month, even though it's halfway through the Jewish year. In the first month, on the 14th day at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread. Matzah is bread, flour and water, which has not risen. It is a mitzvah to consume on the 14th day of Nisan, towards evening, once, the, once night has fallen, it's nightfall, it is a mitzvah to consume matzah. The matzah that we gave out here in Seagate is the exact size of the matzah. One of those matzahs shall be consumed. Best is to eat it plain, not with anything else. Just eat plain matzah for a couple of minutes. Afterwards, you can have more matzah. If you have a bigger, big size matzah, about a half or even a third of that matzah, depending how thick it is, a mitzvah to consume a sizable amount of matzah on this night, consecutively, not just throughout the night, but to sit for a couple of minutes and eat matzah. We make a special bracha, a special blessing for this mitzvah. Just as we make a bracha, we put up a mezuzah. It's a mitzvah to consume matzah on this night, on the night of Wednesday, next Wednesday night and next Thursday night, next week. What is the idea behind this matzah? We see the source. What's the reason for this matzah? And here we have... Uh, a couple of levels here. The basic reason, deeper and even deeper, and how it applies to leaving our personal Egypt. Source number eight, you shall eat unleavened bread, bread of affliction. The Torah refers to the matzah as bread of affliction. Why is it bread of affliction? Bread of distress? Bread of pain? As we say in the Agadah, continuing in source eight, this is the bread of affliction that our fathers ate in the land of Egypt. Even before they left Egypt, in Egypt, they ate this bread, this matzah, this dough, this cracker. How do we know they ate this in Egypt? A poor man can only afford the two simplest ingredients, flour and water. Our ancestors ate this poor man's bread which in, while enslaved in Egypt. While being enslaved in Egypt, excuse me, the food that our ancestors ate for hundreds of years... 210 years they were in Egypt. A large part of that, or big part of it, was actual, actual enslavement. They were poor men. They, they were working all day. Poor man's bread. The matzahs refer to the bread of affliction, the bread of pain, somebody who is in distress, somebody who doesn't have much. Two basic ingredients, flour and water. That's what our ancestors ate in Egypt. In Hebrew, the Torah refers to it as lechem oini, poor man's bread. Or bread of affliction. So when we eat the matzah, the first element in this mitzvah is remembering the pain of our ancestors. And throughout the Seder, there's two parts here. There's always there's the part of remembering the pain, the first part, the suffering, and 
talking about the exodus, the freedom. So matzah has one element of it, is telling us about the suffering. Matzah is poor man's bread. It was the custom back in the day to feed slaves matzah because besides being just two ingredients, no eggs, no sugar, nothing too tasty about it, it was also very um, you know, lasting, a little, would, uh, would keep the person nourished for, for very long. The matzah would sit, in the, sit inside, sit in the stomach and keep a person full for a long time. It was a cheap way of keeping the slaves um, full and energized. That's one element in the matzah. But it goes a little bit deeper. Source number nine, the Egyptians, as the Torah talks about the actual night of the redemption. The 15th of Nisan at midnight was the 10th plague. And the Egyptians urged the people on, source 9, impatient to have them leave the country. They couldn't wait. So the people took their dough before it was leavened and they baked unleavened cakes. This is the famous reason known for eating matzah. The Jews left Egypt in a hurry. They couldn't procrastinate. The Egyptians were there telling them, get out of here already. We're all going to die. It's not just the firstborn. We're all going to die. Just get out of here. They did not even give them enough time for their dough to rise. They were preparing dough for, for the way. They knew they were going to leave Egypt soon. They wanted to prepare some bread for the way. And the Egyptians were impatient. They pushed them along, urged them to leave Egypt. They had no choice but to take their dough, put it on their backs, put it in their sacks on their back. And it was baked just like that without having time to rise. Flat bread, unleavened bread, bread, dough that did not have a chance, did not have an opportunity to rise, to ferment, to become leaven. And because the story happened that way, that they were chased out, as the Torah clearly says, you left Egypt in a hurry to commemorate the miracle of the Exodus. Not just they left Egypt, but they left Egypt in a hurry where no slave was able to leave Egypt for hundreds of years. And here millions of Jews marched out of Egypt. They didn't just march out. They were chased out of Egypt. The matzah, eating that bread that they ate then, commemorates this miracle. So we have that the matzah commemorates the suffering, the poor man's bread, the bread of affliction, but it also commemorates the bread that they ate when they left Egypt and they ate that kind of bread because of the great miracle they were chased out of Egypt. But the question is, why were they chased out? Why did God orchestrate it in such a way that they had to leave in a hurry, in a rush? They were there for 210 years. The Egyptians could have said, you have three days to leave. You know? Why did it have to be in a way God was the one that brought the plagues. God was bringing all this about. Why did it have to be in a way that they had to run? They had to leave in a hurry, in a rush. And that's why they had to eat matzah. And that's why we eat matzah today. Is it just a technical thing? Or this is part of the lesson? How to leave our Egypt. As we're talking here, the first mitzvah is teaching us about leaving our personal Egypt. Here, the matzah gives us a message about leaving our personal boundaries, our personal limitations. Source 10. Here's an explanation from Tanya. It's a book of the Alter Rebbe, the first Chabad Rebbe, Rabbi Shneir Zalman, who lived in uh, somewhere in Russia, Ukraine, Lyozhna, Liadi, and a book written over 200 years ago. He writes the following. Source 10. Due to their poor spiritual states, they needed to leave Egypt in such a haste. In such haste. 
they had become so entrenched in the spiritual depravity of Egypt that they had that had that had they excuse me that had they remained in Egypt even a moment longer there may not have been a nation left to redeem they weren't running from the Egyptians they were running from themselves there's a Hasidic concept again we're just touching upon it, it can be expounded on the concept is that Jews being in Egypt for 210 years they were the descendants the grandchildren of Abraham Isaac and Jacob and the 12 original 12 tribes who worshipped God but being so many years in Egypt among the Egyptians who were a very immoral and low people who served pagan gods, the Jews were in a spiritual exile. They weren't just physically enslaved by the Egyptians, but their spiritual state was also enslaved to the mindset of the Egyptians. Many of them forgot about God and many of the mitzvahs like circumcision, having a bris which was given to Avram was forgotten by many of the Jews. And some of them fell very low and they got to a point, the night of Passover, they got to such a point that if they did not leave now, it would be lost forever. So, that is the idea why they had to escape. They had to leave in a rush, in a hurry. There was no time to waste. God orchestrated in a way that the Egyptians were chasing them out. Because spiritually, if they were still in the place of Egypt, they would be, too, they would be stuck there forever if they stayed there a moment longer. And at the exact moment, they were chased out. They did not even have time for the matzah to rise because to save their souls, to be able to become God's chosen people, it was now or never. The last moment... The last moment they escaped Egypt in a hurry. They weren't running from the Egyptians. They were running from their personal Egypt. From the Egypt that affected their insides, their perspective, their ideology, their way of life. They had to run away in order for them, in order to take Egypt out of them. They needed to first leave Egypt to get away from the problem, to get away from the source, the influence, the evil influence. To get away and then they can work on leaving their personal Egypt, leaving the Egypt that came into them. That is how the Alter Rebbe, the first Chabad Rebbe, explains why it had to be in such a way that they had to escape. But you know what? We all have that influence. We all have something inside of us. That Egypt, Source 11, we all have our addictions, whether to harmful substances, poisonous relationships, relationships, toxic habits, or negative ideologies. We have something Egyptian inside of us. The matzah reminds us that the first step towards freedom from our personal Egypt is to make a sudden and complete exodus from the you that was and march towards the you that can be. So Matzah teaches us when we retell the story, we fulfill the mitzvah of retelling the story of Pesach and look inside ourselves and find our personal Egypt, our limitations, our comfort zone, and we want to leave. Matzah teaches us the first thing you got to do is run away. Take a bold step. Just leave Egypt. Disconnect yourself. Take a jump. Take a leap. A leap of faith. That's the first step of matzah. Matzah was the Jews ran away. They had to escape from the situation. 
not just the physical enslavement, but the spiritual enslavement. They were enslaved, they were surrounded with bad influence. The first thing was to do, to do was to march away, to take a bold step. We don't know where we're going, but we're leaving, we're following God, we're getting out of here. We're taking the first step, it's a bold step. But to leave the place, to leave the bad influence, the addictions, to go cold turkey... That is the matzah. The matzah teaches us when we crunch on our matzah on the night of Pesach, fulfilling this biblical mitzvah, we think about the matzah. Where does this matzah come from? Because it was done in a way, our ancestors, they had to escape. And they, they, they had no time to, grow, to, to rise. Why did they escape? Because they had an Egypt, they had uh, negative influence that they had to just leave and run away. And that takes faith. It takes faith because we don't know what, where we're going. We just got to, we don't know how we're going to manage, how we're going to handle this. We just got to take that step. And that's the next idea of matzah. Matzah, excuse me, in, in the Zohar and the Kabbalah says that matzah is food of faith. Why is matzah food of faith? Take a look at source 12. Torah tells us, provisions too, they could not make for themselves. To apprise us of the eminence of Israel. They did not say, how can we venture into the desert with no provisions for the road? <laughs> the Egyptians were chasing them, urging them to leave, impatiently waiting for them to get out of Egypt. Not just they didn't have time for the little dough they made, they couldn't take any provisions. They're going into the desert, who knows when they're going to have food. Excuse me. Yet... They marched out, they placed their trust, they had faith in God and in Moses' servant, their leader, that he will care for them, he will take care of them. They actually took a leap of faith by marching away from Egypt. They didn't have any, anything for the trip. How are they going to survive? And yet, they did it. Matzah's food of faith. The only food they took with them was matzah. And they had faith that God will provide for them. God will take care of them. They will follow God's word. We take a bold step. How are we going to manage? We place our trust in God. For example, if somebody decides to close their store on Shabbos, how am I going to manage? The first thing is to take a bold step. Get it done. And have faith in Hashem. Like matzah, food of faith that he will provide just as he provides for everybody. When we follow God's word, he will provide. Source 13, concluding the second section of matzah. The sparse makeup of the matzah reflects the simple faith of one who was roused by a flash of divine truth to follow God into the desert. He does not yet fully comprehend what just took place. There is no richness of intellectual taste. All he tastes is his firm resolve to serve God. The flat matzah is the antithesis of the inflated chametz, the symbol of ego. So matzah is that we're just at the beginning. We don't know how we, we don't know what's going on. I don't even really understand why it's important to keep Shabbos in our example. Or why it's important to do whatever thing I'm leaving my Egypt. I just know it's the right thing. I have faith in God. I know this is what's right. The taste of the matzah doesn't taste so yummy. There's no sugar in there. There's no sweetness. There's no eggs and all the other ingredients. It's just plain flat matzah. 
That's what faith is. It's just we know that it's right. It's flat and humble. I know I'm doing the right thing. Even if I can't really understand and really get it and know how it's going to work out, I have faith in Hashem. Unlike the chametz, the bread which rises, which shows on boasting, shows on ourselves when we think about how, how, when we, we think, uh, how great we are and think about what's comfortable for us, that's chametz. Matzah represents, matzah symbolizes when we put ourselves on the side and we do what's right for Hashem. Humility. That's the message of the matzah. You know why the matzah quit his job? Because he didn't get a raise. Matzah doesn't, don't get raises. They stay flat. Moving on to our third section. Uh, somebody can give me some feedback here. Make sure you're still there. That this, the number here is correct. If you're listening, if you can give me a wave or a thumbs up. As we're getting ready to move on to our third section. <clears throat> Hope you're still there. Whoever's listening, there we go. Thank you. Continuing on, <clears throat> we learned the first two mitzvahs of the Seder. Thank you. Okay. Now I know this is real. It's hard to sit in an empty room, talk to a phone. We learned the mitzvah of telling the story of the Seder. We learned the mitzvah of eating matzah. And we know the message, the message of, the, of each of these mitzvahs. Moving on to the third step in leaving our Egypt, the mitzvah of moror. The mitzvah to consume, to eat moror. Moror is bitter herbs. Horseradish, a bitter vegetable. We grind, we grate the horseradish. In Yiddish we say chrein. Excuse me, many have the chrein with gefilte fish. Here it's white, plain white horseradish. We'll see soon what, what other things we might be able to use for maror. Okay, thank you Jody. Now I, now I see you're here. And welcome everybody else that recently joined. Hi Rais. Again, you can click on the link to print out a source sheet. We're on the third section here. Where does this come from? It's a mitzvah to eat bitter herbs. It's a mitzvah to eat bitter herbs. Hi Michael and Maureen again. We are continuing on here. It's a mitzvah to eat on the night of the Seder. Where does this mitzvah come from? Source 14, the Torah tells us in the book of Numbers, as well as in other places, they shall eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. This is referring to the Paschal lamb. There was a Paschal offering, the meat. Well, we don't have that nowadays. We don't have a temple. But it says that it should be eaten with matzah, unleavened bread, and bitter herbs. Why is that? The Haggadah tells us, we read in the Haggadah, for what reason do we eat this maror? Because the Egyptians embittered our fathers' lives in Egypt. They made their lives bitter. They made them work back-breaking labor. And you remember, to remember, to relive, we're not just saying the story, we want to actually feel it. We eat the crunchy matzah. We don't just put the matzah on the table. We don't just talk about it. We actually eat it. We ingest it. We eat the mar to feel the pain, the pain, the bitter, the tears that our fathers, ancestors felt in Egypt. We eat the maror. They had a bitter life and they cried. We eat the maror to experience that pain, what they felt like, those tears. But what is the message? 
So we see it's a mitzvah for men, women, for children to give them a little bite, a little lick of the morer, or we'll soon see we can use something else. But what's the message in leaving our personal Egypt? Source 15. One of the in 1976, the summer of 1976, the Rebbe, the Lubavitcher Rebbe, chose 12 Torah passages from Torah, from Talmud, from Tanya, that people, especially children, should recite, should learn by heart. Usually we have a birthday party, we'll say some of these verses, verses of Torah, fundamental verses with important messages. Ideas I, that children, especially, should be familiar with. One of them is a quote from the Talmud. And here, we're interesting that the Rebbe chose this. This is a very fundamental idea, lesson in Jewish life. Source 15. If a person says to you, I have labored and not found success, do not believe him. If he says to you, I have not labored, but nevertheless I have found success, do not believe him. If, however, he says to you, I have labored and I have found success, believe him. If somebody says that they worked hard and they did not succeed, something's wrong. They either did not work too hard, they didn't labor enough, or they did succeed, they don't recognize their success. If somebody says, I have not labored and I, I'm still successful, something's wrong. Either they did labor, they don't realize, or... It's not real success, it's not, it's not lasting, it's not going to last. Something's wrong. Do not believe the person. It's not true success. But if somebody says, I have labored and I have succeeded, believe him. That's the system. In order to succeed, in order to grow, we must invest. We must work hard. We must labor. In Hebrew, you have your giyah. If you toil, then then you will find, then you will succeed. Then tamin, then we believe. We have faith. That is the system. We work hard. Might be painful. Might be, might be a little bit bitter. But then that leads to success. So the moror, the message of the moror, the bitterness, the challenges, teaches us, or 16, moror reminds us, when you're eating your moror and tears are streaming from your eyes, remember, it reminds us not to avoid challenges, but to instead recognize that they are a necessary part of the process of success. Without the bitterness and the struggle, we don't reach our full potential. If we just stay in our comfort zone, and we don't step beyond our comfort zone, we don't invest, we don't push ourselves to grow, then we won't reach our full potential. And that's not called success. Success is when we tap into our potential, the full potential that God has given each and every one of us. And the way to reach that potential is by taking off our shoes, as we said. God told Moses, take off Nalai, take off your locks, take off what makes you comfortable from your routine and go beyond, step beyond your Egypt. Yes, it's going to be challenging. How am I going to support myself if my store is not open on Shabbos? How am I going to... Get to shul. It's not something that I usually do. How am I going to do this mitzvah? How am I going to help somebody? How am I going to become a better person? That's not, I don't like to compliment people. It's hard for me. How am I going to do it? How am I going to be at, work on myself? 
It's a little bitter. It's a little uncomfortable. It's challenging. But Mara teaches us that in order for le- to leave Egypt, the Jews first were slaves. There has to be something there to get to the Torah, to get to become the special, the, you know, the Jewish people. There was a stage that God planned this from the beginning. God told Abraham that your children will go through this stage. There is a stage of bitterness. There's a stage of challenges. In order to grow, in order to come close to God, you need to take your locks off your sh- off your comforts, off your routines, and then you can approach, you can come near to the burning bush, to the sight of God. We want to become better. We want to become more godly, more goodly. We need to step beyond our comfort zone. We need to recognize that challenges is part of the of the process, and not to be turned off. They are not obstacles. They are challenges. They are stepping stones. Now, just give me one moment. Sorry. So horseradish, we can use horseradish. Hi, hi Gita, Miss Maimon. But the Chabad custom, and many have this custom, is to use not just horseradish, but romaine lettuce. Why lettuce? You can use uh, other vegetables. The Mishnah lists different vegetables. It needs to be a bitter herb. Now, it doesn't have to actually taste bitter, but it needs to be a vegetable that becomes bitter. So the lettuce, the romaine lettuce, if it stays in the ground... It will become bitter. It will become very bitter. And certain parts of the leaf can are bitter. So maybe it tastes sweet. It can taste fine to us while we eat it. So our custom is we take the romaine lettuce. We put horseradish inside and have both of them together. But if someone does not want to have horseradish, they can just have a nice size, you know, two or three leaves of horseradish. Of I'm sorry, of romaine lettuce. Because it is a vegetable that with time, even though it starts off sweet, with time, if it stays in the ground longer, it will become bitter. So why specifically this idea? <clears throat> Source 17. We use romaine lettuce because it is soft and sweet, but when left in the ground, it becomes bitter and tough. So too, excuse me, at first the Egyptians sweet-talked the Jews into building cities for Pharaoh, appealing to their sense of patriotism and offering them pay for their work. In the end, however, they were enslaved and forced to perform harsh backbreaking labor. The way the labor started in Egypt, how did the Jews end up being slaves? The Talmud says that they first sweet-talked them. Hey Jews, you came from Israel, the Israelites, you're living now in Egypt, you gotta be a proud, you gotta help out our country. And they said, come work, build cities for Pharaoh, and the Jews, you know, we're living in this country. We're going to help them out. And at first they paid them and slowly they weaned them, weaned them off their payment and their easy labor and started enslaving them. So it started with sweet talk and eventually it ended up into backbreaking labor. That is like the romaine lettuce. It starts off sweet, but the longer it's left in the ground, it becomes bitter. So that's the, way, that's the labor here. It started off sweet and ended up bitter. So romaine lettuce sort of represents the way the way the enslavement started. But again, it's not just something practical. This is the way it happened then. It must have a message here. Not just a general message of bitterness that sometimes 
we need to be ready to get through a challenge, to grow, to go beyond our comfort zone. But in this order of bitter, first being sweet, and then being bitter. That's the way things went, work in Egypt. When we want to leave Egypt, the system has to change. The order has to change. Story I read from Rabbi Yisrael Gordon. Actually, a great uncle of my brother-in-law. Somehow we're all related. He grew up in the Soviet Union, former Soviet Union. I believe in a town called Dokshitz. I'm not sure where it is. Somewhere there. And it was in the middle of a brutal Russian winter. It wasn't like today when we have beautiful mikvahs. <clears throat> They're like a spa. For men, for women, everything is beautiful indoors. Back in the day when somebody needed to immerse in a mikvah, especially under the communist regime, often they had to go to the ocean, to a freezing cold, especially when the mikvahs that did exist were shut down. One father wanted to teach his son a lesson. He took his young son, probably nine or ten years old, and, you know, this is under the communist regime when Judaism was illegal and dangerous. Jewish schools were not around. He wanted to teach him a lesson for life. He didn't know when he was going to be arrested himself for spreading Judaism, the father. And he wanted to leave his young son with an eternal message for life. He wanted to show him the mikvah experience or the mikvah lesson. Late one night... They went to a lake, the outskirts of town. The lake was frozen over. They took a shovel and they started digging, started breaking the ice until they got, they made a little hole. The father tells his son, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to put you a little in the water. It's going to be freezing. It's going to be cold, but don't worry. As soon as you touch the water, I will take you out and wrap you in a warm towel. So, the father does that. They get ready to go into the water. The father takes the boy, lets his body touch the cold, freezing water, and as soon as it does, the boy shrieks and he says, Ooh! It's cold, it's freezing! Quickly, the father takes him out, wraps him in the warm towel, and the boy emits a sigh of contentment. He says, ah, now it's geschmack. Now it feels comfortable. Father turns to his son as they're walking back and tells him, in life, sometimes there's the ooh, it's painful, it's uncomfortable, and sometimes it's enjoyable. It's ah, there's a good feeling. But think to yourself, which one comes first? If the ooh comes first, the hardships, the investment, then you know you're on the right track. There's going to be an ah soon. If you work hard, if you toil, there's going to be success. The ah is going to come. But if the first thing you experience is the ah, is the enjoyment, it comes to you easy, then you're on the wrong track. You're in the wrong order. 
After the ah, something's going to happen. It's going to be a ooh. Then it's going to be painful. Easy come, easy go. The lesson of the Mara is like the main lettuce in Egypt. It started sweet. But then it ended up very bitter. How do we leave our Egypt? We got to take a leap of faith. We got to leave our personal Egypt. It's Mara, it's bitter. It's challenging. But that's the road to success. When we have the ooh, then we will reach the ah. We will reach the enjoyment. And that leads us to our final section here for today's lesson. The fourth mitzvah is the mitzvah of drinking four cups of wine or grape juice at the Seder night. As Maimonides tells us, source 18, halachic codifier, each and every person, men, women, even children, must drink four cups of wine, grape juice is considered wine for this, on this night. On the night of the Seder, from nightfall till midnight, every Jewish person should drink four cups of wine. As well as the second night, next Thursday night, we have two seders. Now, it doesn't mean you fill up a cup, take it down and drink another cup, another, you know, we can't just have four cups consecutively. You will not fulfill this mitzvah. The way the mitzvah was instituted was, as we see in source 19, if one drank all four cups at once, he has not, he or she has not fulfilled this obligation. Rather, we recite the Kiddush over the first cup. We read the Exodus story over the second cup. We recite the grace after meals over the third cup. And we sing Psalms, Hallel, over the fourth cup. Each of the cups, a special blessing, excuse me, a special blessing should be said over. You can't just drink four cups straight. Over the first cup in the Haggadah book, we read the Kiddush prayer. Then we drink the wine, first cup. The second cup, we pour the second cup. Before you drink it, we read the story. We fulfill the first mitzvah we spoke about here, the story of the Exodus, the story of the suffering. After that, we say another blessing, we drink the second cup. Then we, throughout the Seder, we get after the meal, we pour the third cup, we say benching, we say the blessing, thanking God for our food. Then we drink it. And on the fourth cup, we pour the fourth cup, we say some chapters of Psalms that is in the book of the Haggadah, the Hallel, praises of God, and then we drink the fourth cup. By doing that, we have fulfilled this mitzvah of drinking four cups of wine. Again, it's not just sipping four cups of wine. It's a certain measurement, at least you know three or four ounces, wine or grape juice, not one after the other. You can spread it out, have a long seder, so you shouldn't uh, end up too drunk. That's how this mitzvah is fulfilled. Many, many ideas to this four cups. We'll focus in on two points here. The simple and a lesson. The simple, basic idea to the four cups, Stan, I'll get to your questions shortly, is from the Torah, source 20. When God is telling Moses about the liberation, how the Jews are going to be freed from Egypt, he tells him to tell the Jews, I will free you, source 20, I will free you from the labors of the Egyptians and rescue you from their bondage. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and through extraordinary chastisements and I will take you to be my people. These are known as four expressions, the four expressions of redemption. In Hebrew, I will free you, I will take you out 
The second, I will heat salty, I will rescue, like Hatzala, which means to rescue. Hatzala ambulances, the volunteer ambulances, be salty. Vegoalti, I will redeem you. And Vilokachti, I will take you as a nation. These are the four expressions that God told Moshe, Moses to give over to the Jewish people. And the four cups of wine are corresponding to these four expressions. What is the significance of the four expressions? So there are many. Here is one, source 21. The four expressions represent four independent phases of the redemption. With each of these phases, we could thank Hashem. So a cup of wine is a way, is a royal drink. It's a way of praising God for for a miracle, for doing good to us, to our ancestors. And there are four phases, there were four phases to the redemption. So each cup is thanking God for another phase. The first phase was, we're in source 21 here, number one, the burden of slavery was removed, which happened even before they actually left Egypt during the 10 plagues, which took a couple of months, half a year. The harsh enslavement was stopped. So that's the first thing. I will free you. Corresponding to the first expression, I will free you from the labor. The labor stopped. That was the first phase. But they were still in Egypt. They were still under the Egyptian regime. They had to pay taxes. So, you know, they had still other limitations. The second thing, second phase, was the emancipation from the Egyptian government actually leaving Egypt. But even after they left Egypt, the Egyptians still were, came running after them. And that's why Passover is eight days long, because till they got to the Red Sea, the Egyptians were still, the, the Jews were still in danger, and then the miracle of the splitting of the sea took place. That's the third phase, and the Egyptians were drowned, and the Jews were totally safe now, out of danger. And four, the giving of the Torah, now they weren't just taken out of Egypt, but they were taken as God's special people, given the Torah, that is the fourth, final phase of the redemption, giving them an opportunity to grow and become close to Hashem. So corresponding to these four phases of the redemption, those are the four expressions of redemption. And the four cups are corresponding to those four things. But as we're referring here to the spiritual, our personal leaving of Egypt, what does wine represent? Source 22. Wine, pleasing to the eye nose and palate, intoxicating to the brain and exhilarating to the heart, that's the nature of wine, is essentially gratifying aspect of our divine service. Our understanding of the inner significance of the mitzvahs and the fulfillment and joy we experience in our relationship with God. Wine represents our enjoyable, our joyful relationship our tasty relationship with God. When we drink wine, we get happy. The nature of wine tastes good, it smells good, it looks good, makes us feel good. Wine represents our relationship with Hashem, which is the ah, which comes after the bitterness. We left our Egypt. We told the story of the state of the exodus, the suffering. We found, we did some introspection by telling the story. We thought about our own Egypt, our own limitations and comfort zones. We looked for the lock, which is locking our routine. And we took a step of faith. We eat the matzah, the crunchy matzah, which reminds us of the hurry that the Jews left Egypt. Just get away from the Egyptian mindset, from the limit, limited mindsets. 
and we know that we have to, by eating them more, we remember that it's not easy. It's not so easy. There's challenges. It's hard. We don't know where we're heading. But we know this is the right thing. Then we get to the, ah, we got to the ooh already. That was first. Then we get to that. We invested. We toiled. We worked hard. We gave up. We contributed. Then the wine represents how at, later on we get to learn more about what's going on. We get to feel meaning in what's going. We feel our life becomes more meaningful. We come close to Hashem. We're at the burning bush. We're close to Hashem. We left our Egypt. Wine represents the stage that we are starting to taste. We're starting to feel the good, beautiful taste. Delicious taste of the wine. How lucky we are to be Jewish, to have, be connected. And the challenges bring us to this joyful state. A short uh, parable brings out this idea. I may have shared it before, but not on Facebook Live. So, a father and son were walking down the mountain into the valley. And while they're walking, they see a man coming up bent over, hunched over, with a sack over his back. Looks like it's a really heavy load. And they come closer to the man. They meet up with him. And the boy asks the man, What do you have there? What do you have in your sack? Looks really heavy and bent over. The man says, I have rocks, stones, my oven, my, my oven at home collapsed, broke, and I have to build it again. I came here to the valley to gather, to collect some stones, and I'm bringing it home to build an oven. Said the boy, surely there are more rocks out down there. Why don't you bring more and you'll build a bigger oven? Said the man, this is so heavy for me. I'll suffice with a small oven. I can't schlep anymore. All right, the man goes up the mountain. They continue down, excuse me, to the valley. They come to the second, they come to a second man, also carrying same size sack, but this man, even though he looks just as broad and just as tall, just as strong, this man is standing up, upright and doesn't look too heavy to him. And the boy turns to him, what do you got? How, do, how come you look so different? The man says, oh, I got diamonds. I have gems in my, in my sack here. So the boy says to the man, Diamonds, gems, that's all you have? Surely there are more where you got them. Surely in the valley there are more of those gems. Why didn't you take more and you'll have more? You'll be more wealthy. Said the man, believe me, I searched the entire valley. I took every gem, every stone that's there, every precious stone that's there. And the man continued on his way. They continued down the valley and the father turns to his son. He said, son, you shall know you should know that the first man and the second man were both carrying the same things. They were both carrying diamonds. The first man was unaware that they were diamonds. They were dirty and he was not aware that these are diamonds. And that is why he was bent over. And he sufficed with a small amount. The second man was aware. He was an expert. He knew these are diamonds. And therefore, even though they weighed the same amount, he was standing upright and he, he said he collected everything that he could find. They both were carrying the same thing. One recognized that these were diamonds. These were special. And he 
was standing upright. He was proud. He was happy. He looked for more. This was enjoyable to him. These are diamonds. This is making me wealthy. This is going to change my life. The other man used the same diamonds to build his oven. And he was bent over and sufficed with the, with the minimum. He was unaware that these are diamonds. He looked at them as stones. We should be aware that celebrating Pesach, celebrating the Seder, and in general, following the Torah, studying the Torah, following the mitzvahs, the way of the Torah, the ideals of the Torah, these are diamonds. These are a gift from Hashem. And when we recognize that, then they're not heavy. They're not challenging. They are precious. They give meaning to our life. They help us come close to God, to become better people, to bring out our full potential. God gave us the Torah to bring out our inner strength, to become what we could become, to march away from who we are to who we, are, who we could become. That is the lesson. When we view it as diamonds, and those challenges lead us to wine, to the four cups of wine, where we recognize that it is enjoyable, it is meaningful, it is the greatest thing that God has given us by choosing us, taking us out of Egypt, and helping us grow and come close to Hashem. This concludes our source sheet here. We have the four mitzvahs, telling the story, eating matzah, eating bitter herbs, and drinking four cups of wine. These are the four mitzvahs, and hopefully we have now some lessons, how to make our Seder relevant, practical, living 3,332 years after the original story happened. It is not a story that happened in the past. It is a story that's happening now. In each of our homes, this Seder night, the story is happening. There is an Egypt. There is a personal Egypt, and we need to leave this Egypt by taking off the locks of our, of our routines, taking off the locks, leaving our comfort zone, might be challenging, but it is also enjoyable. Uh, Stan asked here if anybody has any questions. Now is a good time to uh, place it in the comments. Can we have a, ho a learning session on making homemade horseradish? Absolutely. As we get closer to Pesach, uh, as well as a learning session to prepare everything on the Seder plate. We will, my, Rabbi Brickman and myself, we will have here live a model Seder, how to get through the Seder, what needs to go on the Seder plate. Uh, good time to mention that we will be preparing Seder plates and some Seder to-go packages. If you would like to receive one, please let us know so we can prepare accordingly. But uh, the next couple of days, we will let you know when we'll have this model Seder, getting through each of the 15 steps of the Seder. We also have Haggadahs, English Haggadahs, Russian Haggadahs that, we'll, that we will be able to distribute and get to you somehow. So stay tuned. And <clears throat> looking here for any questions. Um, Judy writes, Minha Meitzar Karasi applies and it means the depth of suffering, 100%. In the Hallel, in the prayer that we say towards the end of the Seder, on the fourth cup, we say, Min HaMetzar Karasika. We call out to God from Metzar. Metzar comes the word Mitzrayim. That's a good example here. Metzar, we call out to God from the depth of suffering, of pain. That is uh, an idea here that suffering or pain can leads us to the Ah, leads us is a is a step in the process of getting towards um, freedom out of our Egypt. I want to mention 
apologize for not mentioning in the beginning that today's class is dedicated to a wonderful fellow who recently passed away, Rudy Ben Jack, Rudy the son of Jack, uh, a uncle or a relative of um, Roy and Jody that are here and uh, regulars at the weekly Lunch and Learn. He was an elderly man, uh, lived through Kristallnacht in Germany. Unfortunately, I did not have the opportunity to meet him, but I hear that he was a wonderful man, a talented person, and somebody who broke his boundaries and worked to live to his fullest and was successful in many areas, in the, in the musical field and other areas. So his neshama... We're still in the 30-day period since his passing. His neshama, his soul should have an aliyah, should it be elevated and be a good blessing and be an intercedent for his family here. They should all be healthy and successful in their spiritual um, journey out of their Egypt as long as all, uh, all of our journeys out of Egypt as well <clears throat> as, well as uh, dedicated for a woman who was hurt, uh, injured in the fire here we had in Seagate on Friday night. Um, Ruti Baschana, I believe. And they should, she should have a speedy and complete recovery and be, come back with us, come back here to us in Seagate. We should be able to celebrate many more years together. Health, because like we say in Yiddish, Gesundheit and Freilichet with health and happiness. <clears throat> looking forward to next week's lunch and learn looks like we're going to be back here it's going to be just shortly before Pesach next Tuesday at 12.15 you can tune back in here tune back here for the next week's lunch and learn to conclude the lunch and learn is the weekly learning session this is lunch and learn number 84 we're getting close to two years of studying together uh, looking at traditional sources on any given topic. Ruti Basara, apologize, her name was Ruti Basara. She should have a complete and healthy, speedy recovery. Ruti Basara Lea, thank you, Julia, it's her daughter. Ruti Basara Lea should have a refuah shalema, complete recovery, be able to leave the hospital quickly, and all of the burns should heal. There shall be no. Uh, nothing left, no scars, nothing left, and to be able to return to her previous strength and even stronger and continue to be with her daughter and granddaughter and the rest of us in our beautiful community here in Seagates. Amen. If anybody would like to dedicate any future uh, classes, you're welcome to let us know. Have a wonderful rest of your day and your week. Don't forget, today is Tuesday. With all that's going on, today is actually Tuesday. And looking forward to seeing you all in person. Stay healthy and stay positive.